there are some sweets for you as you leave. Thank you. Thank you to Alan for that. London's a wonderful place. And we saw some nice pictures. I knew it wasn't Boris immediately because the hair was a little bit <laughs> better kept than normal. I'm just jealous he has hair. <laughs> it's good to see you all out today once more. We do pray that the Lord will bless us one and all as we meet together in his house. The table's spread, and so as we come to the end of the preaching part, do tarry and linger, and let's remember the Lord even as he is commanded in his word. Sunday school in the JYC at 3 p.m., and then the gospel service is preceded by a time of prayer at 6.20, and the gospel service itself will commence at 7 p.m., and this evening we're looking forward to having Bethany given uh, to sing to us and be praying for Bethany as she ministers in song tonight. Sunday school teachers, do you remember you have a meeting after the gospel service, and wait behind as you're able to do so, please, for that. Tuesday at 8 p.m. is a Bible class, and we continue in our studies in the covenants of the Bible. And so let's come once more around the Word of the Lord Tuesday at 8 p.m. Wednesday at 7.30, it's the office bearers meeting. So office bearers, please bear that in mind and be praying for that, even as a church family, that we might know the wisdom of the Lord as we meet together Wednesday evening at 7.30. Thursday at 8 p.m. is the assembly prayer meeting. And once more, we have much to pray for. We've enjoyed good times of prayer recently. Let's keep it up and let's stay faithful even in our attendance at the place of prayer Thursday at 8 p.m. Friday then sees the return of the Mums and Tots group at 10 a.m. And we're praying for that and we're praying that the Lord will bless even as that uh, group gets up and going once more. And truly, we trust that the Lord will gather many in. And so if you know even families who would benefit from that activity, then just remind and make them aware of that gathering 10 a.m. on Friday morning. 6.45 on Friday evening then is a good news club. And then it is the BYF weekend, this incoming weekend. So we'll be praying for the young people and the leaders as they attend that. And BYF uh, people, you know your own arrangements for that weekend. Saturday at 2 p.m. is the outreach then. So continue to remember the team as they go out time after time, even with the gospel here in the town. And just a reminder that today is the Sunday that's set aside for the missionary offering. And let's be faithful in our giving, even as the Lord has given unto us. Now, before we come around the word of the Lord, let's sing together one more. Uh, Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word.
with me your Bibles this morning and turn to Romans in the chapter 3. Romans in the chapter 3. With the Word of God open before us, let's just pause and ask for the Lord's help even as we enter into the preaching of his word, and you pray even as you listen, that the Lord will both help and guide me in what I say, but also prepare your heart. And indeed, even as we were saying there, test your attitude as we come afresh to his word this morning. Father, we just look to thee even in this moment. There are many distractions, even in the heart and in the mind. But Lord, we pray that thou was help us, or thou was guide us, each one, as we come to wait around thy word. We pray, Father, that thou was please answer even the prayer of my heart. Help me to be clear in my thoughts and simple in my speech. And help me, Lord, to communicate that which thou dost desire even to be gleaned from thy word this morning. Feed us, Lord, and be pleased to help us. And grant to us, Lord, thy blessing, for it's only thy blessing that truly will make our gathering that which it should be. And for this we plead, in Jesus' name. Amen. In the verse 21, then, of Romans in the chapter 3, we're going to read down to the end of the chapter. The Word of God says, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Whereas boasting then, it is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. Amen. And may the Lord indeed bless the reading of His Word to our hearts. We come to continue our studies then today in this book of Romans. And this is the sixth book, chronologically, that we believe the Apostle Paul wrote during the years and the days of his ministry that God, the Holy Spirit, granted to him. It's a great book. It goes without saying that as we study within it, we find many key truths that enrich our lives and indeed encourage us in our walk here below. This is a book which has for its theme the gospel. 
It's found in every page. It's referred to in every idea and in every theme that is drawn, even from the Word of God as the Apostle Paul writes to this church at Rome. And this was undoubtedly then penned to remind and educate believers in the great claims of the gospel, the awesome scope of the gospel, and ultimately the great mandate of the gospel. Now, our studies thus far have implored us to be those who patiently continue. We've been exhorted to be fully persuaded. And then last week, our study encouraged us to expect much more. Now, all of these messages contained within them the three themes that we've identified, the claims of the gospel, the scope of the gospel, the mandate of the gospel. And I trust that as we have already deliberated on these three messages, that they have given us confidence, they've given us assurance. But today we begin a message which will take us four weeks. The next four Sundays, including today, will be taken up with considering the theme of this message. Now, whenever we began our studies, we did say that there would be ten rubies from Romans, and we're not shortchanging you in any way. For each of the considerations on these four studies will be an individual ruby, but they're under, as it were, one banner, one central thought that hinges upon all of our understanding of the message of this book. And these four messages that we come to, I believe, are crucial to our ability to pivot from a knowledge of that what we can do, that which we must do, to the reality then of practically applying the challenges of this book, this book of Romans, in our lives and indeed in our service for God. You see, our rubies began with those encouraging exhortations. They're easily applied. They're comforting in theme. Our studies then will end, God willing, with three challenging messages on the necessity of service, all aimed at seeing us claim that much more as we patiently continue being fully persuaded. But we won't arrive there unless the truth of these next four messages sink deep within our hearts. Now, undoubtedly, as we come to them time and time again, there will not be something for everyone in the entirety of the message, but there is truth for everyone time after time. And you see, as we come to the book of Romans, many describe it as being a theological masterpiece where the Apostle Paul had this desire to lay out boldly and clearly and indeed at length the claims of the gospel. But I see beyond the theologian that Paul was, and I see the pastor that he was. Because in communicating theological truth, he desired that the people might be built up, that they might be encouraged, that they might be able to live out the claims of the gospel day after day, time after time. But just as was the case in the days of Paul, So too, I believe it to be the case today here in our generation, in our assembly. We will not live out clearly, consistently the truths of the gospel if we do not come to a fuller, greater knowledge of that which we consider over the next four weeks. And so under this heading, we come to consider four messages on this truth. But now, 
You see, all of us, as we gather here today, have a past. All of us know a time whenever we would not like others around us to know the full details of what we were doing, what we were engaged in, how we lived our lives. And all of us have that which we do not readily agree upon, nor indeed agree with as we come to this stage of our lives. But God has reminded us through His Word that each of us who know and who love the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, then each of us have known a but now experience. Because we have the past, but through the mercy and the grace that has been extended to us through our Lord Jesus Christ, we now have so much more. We must as believers continually and consistently live in the good of that if we are ever to know what it is to accomplish all that God desires for us. And so six times the apostle uses that phrase in the book of Romans. Two, I suggest to you, are more practical in nature, speaking about his intentions, speaking about his desires to come and to travel. But the other four will take up our considerations over these next Sundays. And so we come to them the first today. We read it there in the verse 21. The very first two words that we read together from the Word of God this morning, but now. And the rest of the verses communicate this truth. Freedom. Freedom. The apostle here has laid out clearly the truth of the gospel. We're all sinners. We are all under the same sentence of condemnation. This is what he's been engaged in. This is what he's been employed in, even in these opening chapters up into this 21st verse of this third chapter. We don't have to back up too far to understand this and to be reminded of this. Come to verse 10 of chapter 3. It says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way, they are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher with their tongues, they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursings and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And there in those verses that we read together, just a short part of that which he has already written in this book, we are reminded once more of who we are in light of God's Word, of the state and the condition that we were born into into in light of God's Word, and the reality that as God looks upon each one of us outside of Christ, we are sinners under that same condemnation under that same wrath and judgment to come. And directly connected to the truth of our sin nature and indeed our sinful ways is a testimony of our inevitable end, death, destruction, and misery. Just to ensure we are fully aware of our predicament, the apostle highlights once more the vanity of our own endeavors. He says in verse 20, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Simply put, you can't earn salvation. You can't earn acceptance before God. You can't work your way to stand right in his sight and to be accepted 
before a thrice holy God. It's a sad and sorry state of affairs. But it is, I suggest to you, the biblical equivalent of being beat before you even begin. But now, because thank the Lord the story doesn't end there. Thank the Lord the message that he seeks to deliver doesn't end there. For God saw the need. God saw the hopelessness. God understood the ability, inability of you and I to do anything. And praise God, he made a way. This but now focuses entirely on the worth and the all-powerful ability of his own dear son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so the solution of God manifested in the provision from God saw Jesus Christ come into this world. He took on flesh. And being found in fashion as a man, he fulfilled all that was necessary so that you and I today enjoy the reality of a salvation that not even the law itself can find fault with. That's what he's saying there at the end of verse 1. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested in Jesus Christ, his finished work. That which he bestows to us by grace as we put our faith and trust in him. And then he goes on to say, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. And so as the old law looks at the New Testament believer, as he looks, as it looks at you and I, as we know what it is to be saved from our sins because of the finished work of Christ, it's the old law that Paul is focusing on here. And he says, even that old law has nothing to point a finger at, nothing to perjure us, nothing to accuse us of. So think of that for a moment, for that which condemned the Philistine, that which condemned the Midianite, that which condemned the Amalekite of the Old Testament finds no fault with me today. That which necessitated that David offered a sacrifice upon the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite when he sinned in numbering the people finds no fault, makes no claim against you today. It is, of course, by the wonderful truth of imputation that today we come together. We come as the people of God, clothed and resplendent in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, His own dear Son. That righteousness imputed to us is received by faith, by faith alone. Matter not if we were the son of a banker. Matter not if we were the daughter of a preacher. It matter not if we were a drunkard, a gambler, or an upright, morally acceptable sinner. His righteousness was imputed the very moment we placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. At that very moment that we believed in the finished work of His own dear Son, we knew its reality all because of the abundant grace of our loving Heavenly Father. And it would be amiss of me to say, not to say this morning that as we gather, if there is one who is outside of Christ, who cannot testify of that same change in their life's experience, they cannot testify of that but now moment, that same grace is available to you today. And it's received exactly the same way that I received it. It's received by placing your faith and confidence in Christ alone for salvation. Verse 2. 
Don't trust in a church. Don't trust in a person. Don't trust even in your own ability, your own good works, your own fame, your own fortune, your own stature within the community. Trust in Him and in Him alone. He remains to this very day to be the only God-appointed way of salvation. So look to Him by faith and receive by faith that same imputation of righteousness, that same acceptance in the sight of a loving Heavenly Father. Now notice how Paul sums the whole truth up. He sums it up, I believe, in one word. The verse 24. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption. Redemption. That's the theme of this but now. That's the theme that Paul wants us to grab a hold of and to become fully assured of as we journey our lives here below that we have been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb. So as we come to consider it this morning, what does redemption mean? Well, simply it is what we've entitled it to be, freedom. Three major ideas are conveyed in the Greek words that are translated redemption in the New Testament. The first of these ideas is the purchase of one at the slave market. The second is to buy from a market never to be sold again. The intention that once purchased that that object is forever yours. Think about that for a moment. God has redeemed us to be His. Christ has paid the price so that we can be His. And then the third idea is simply this, liberty because of the payment of a price. And so in these three definitions, we are reminded once more that a price has been paid, but we are free. We've been ransomed, we've been released, we've been reserved. We can sing His praises, we can live out His love, we can tell of His grace. Why? Because we are free. There in eternity past, before time ever began, God the Son was anointed and appointed to be the Savior of the world. He was anointed and appointed to come into this world, to give of His life, to deliver us from the sentence of death, to pay the price, and to redeem us to God. Redemption this morning, make no doubt about it. Redemption, your redemption, my redemption, it cost God His only Son. May we never lose the wonder of it all. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through His infinite mercy, His child, and forever I am. But now, I am redeemed. I am free. Not only then do we define redemption, but we ask ourselves this question, how was redemption completed? 
In the verse 25, he reminds us that God sent Christ forth to be a propitiation. So, redemption was completed by propitiation. Now, in your mind, I encourage you to remember this truth. Redemption was manward. This is what Christ came to do for you and for me. But propitiation is Godward. For this is what Christ accomplished to fully satisfy the righteous demands of a thrice holy God. We define propitiation as appeasement, appeasement by sacrifice. And none of this should surprise us, of course, because as we've been reflecting already, not only in our studies in Romans, but indeed in our Bible studies also, sacrifice by atonement has always been God's appointed way of appeasing His wrath. In order that God's wrath, His righteous indignation was appeased, then atoning sacrifice was to be offered, and that is propitiation. You see, for us to be forgiven, someone had to bear the wrath of God. The holiness of God is violated by sin, by your sin, by my sin. And that holiness must be satisfied. And so in the fullness of time, Jesus Christ came to redeem us. But in order to accomplish redemption, the righteous anger of a holy God must be satisfied. You see, simply to put it this morning, God's grace could never be extended to you. It could never be extended to me except that His justice was satisfied. Except that sin was punished. And so as John rightly says in 1 John in the chapter 2, he says, He, Jesus Christ, is a propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. Christ is the one who by His death satisfied the demands of a holy God. And in doing so, He provided the perfect ground for redemption. As He shed His own blood, as He gave of His own life, a holy God acknowledged His anger was appeased. Because of that, grace could then be shown to sinners like you sinners like me. And so this morning we are reminded, but now Christ has redeemed us, but now Christ died to appease the wrath of God for me. You see, in Old Testament times, the upright man or the upright woman fulfilled the law. They offered the sacrifice looking forward to the day that one would come to be that sacrifice. But today you and I look back and we rejoice in one who did come, who did die, who was that sacrifice, who died for me, who died as me, who paid the price, who appeased the wrath of a holy God forever. But now Christ died for my sin. Please the Lord to bruise him. 
It pleased the Lord to lay on him the iniquities of us all. It pleased the Lord that by the giving of his own life, the shedding of his own blood, peace was made, propitiation was fulfilled. So we come to consider the but now of chapter 3, and we see that but now is all along the lines of freedom. We're free from the penalty of the law. We're free from the wrath of God. What does redemption mean? How was redemption completed? Then one final question we ask ourselves. What has redemption accomplished? Here we introduce a third theological term. We've done well to sneak three big words into our sermon today, but we pray that the Lord gives us understanding of these things. The ability to rehearse them to others. We don't preach to be understood. We preach to be repeated, to be shared, to be talked about through the week. And so we come to consider this term, justification. That's what's been accomplished by redemption justification, it says in verse 24, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption. In verse 26, he goes on and says, to declare, I say at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just, and the justifier of Him which believeth in Jesus. Justification is that term that we use to convey the truth that God declares a sinner righteous in His sight forever acquitted of the charges of his sin, forever accepted in the sight of God, declared innocent, righteous forever. It's that which is, of course, the result of that imputation we have already mentioned. Because as we stand in that courtroom, we stand not in the filthy rags and marred garments of our sin, but we stand in the sinless, spotless righteousness of Christ. God declares us justified. And so we must understand that link between justification, that link between propitiation, that link between redemption. Christ, by His death, has appeased the wrath of God. And because He's appeased the wrath of God, He has redeemed us from our sin, and He's set us free forever forever from the hold of sin, forever from the penalty of sin. And God looks at us and declares us in Christ justified. And this is a fact for every believer. If you've repented of your sin and by faith trusted in Christ alone for salvation, then you are justified. God sees you through the lens of Christ. And this but now reminds us freedom. Freedom from the penalty of the law. Freedom from the wrath of God. Freedom from the very claims of the law itself. And I tell you that this understanding of all that God has done in Christ for you and I, this but now of freedom, it is so essential to all of us going on to claim much more. You may say, well, why? This is all truth I've heard rehearsed before. This is all knowledge that I've come to in the past. 
How is this so essential to our fuller and more complete understanding of our salvation and then our going on to claim all that God has for us? Can I say that I believe it to be essential right now, here today in our generation? Because I fear that too many do not live in the light of freedom. They do not live in the light of the liberty that God has granted to them in Christ. They're not living with the reality of being under grace, evident in their behavior, evident in their choices. And I'm not speaking of a grace that means we're free to sin. I'm speaking of a grace that reminds us at all times that we're free from sin. And instead, many believers today struggle with assurance of their salvation. Many believers today voluntarily return to the slave market of sin. Many believers today voluntarily place themselves under the servitude of Satan. Today, perhaps that describes you. You're someone who is racked with the guilt of your past. You're someone who struggles to believe that you're fully forgiven. You refuse to believe you're free. You don't think you're good enough. You sometimes doubt whether you're a believer at all. And there in the quietness and the stillness of your own thoughts there in the night season, the old accuser comes along and says, you couldn't be a child of God because remember what you did on this date. Remember what you said. Remember what you thought. Remember how you lived. If they knew that, you're not a believer at all. Friend, this morning as we come to this but now of freedom, can I remind you from the Word of God that with the authority of Scripture, it tells us that if you have experienced that but now moment in your life, then you are free. For whom the Son sets free, he is free indeed. And you are forgiven because, as John writes and says unto you, little children, I write unto you because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. And hear the words of Christ himself whenever he said, thy sins are forgiven. If you've had that but now, not only are you free, not only are you forgiven, but you are accepted. Because to the praise and glory of His grace wherein He hath accepted us in the Beloved. You are free from the guilt and shame of the past because there is therefore now no condemnation to them that have believed, to them which are in Christ Jesus. And this morning if you have had a but now experience in your life, then you are forever a child of God. All that the Father giveth me will come to me and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out and none shall pluck them out of my hand. So don't allow Satan to hold you back because of what you've been engaged in in days gone by. Don't allow Satan to hold you back because of that which is under the blood. Don't allow Satan to hold you back because of that which Christ died for. Your past does not define your future. Your future is secure in Christ. Today you need to rise to the challenge of living for Him. 
And oh, that so many of us would not be struggling with the things of time, would not be struggling with the reality of who we once were, but oh, that so many of us would claim and hold on to and hold fast to and plant our feet firmly upon this truth. We are forgiven in Him. And He hath redeemed us. Free. Free forever. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul, it is well with my soul, it is well, it is well with my soul. Father, may that be truly the understanding of each of our hearts today. And help us to embrace the fact that we stand redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb. Encourage the weak, those whom the devil easily preys upon, and help us one and all to hold fast and to claim all that Christ has for us in the gospel. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Revive us again, and then we'll come to our time of remembrance after the first hymn, or first verse of the hymn, sorry. Please feel free to depart if you're not able to stay with us, but please, as many as possible, let's tarry and rejoice in the God who sent His Son to redeem us. Thank mm-hmm. you.